Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. I'm going to put up a list here of Democratic colleagues of yours who have called for the resignation of Chris Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, in light of what we've seen happen over these last few days. Are you going to add your name to those ranks? Do you think she should step aside? Oh, absolutely. She should step aside. You know, I have no sympathy for these people uh, that are in this administration uh, who, you know, know it's wrong uh, what they're doing on so many fronts, but they tend to not want to confront this president or even leave, uh, but they know what they're doing is wrong. And I want to tell you, for these members of his cabinet who remain and try to defend him, they're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to uh, absolutely harass them until they decide that they're going to tell the president, no, I can't hang with you. This is wrong. This is unconscionable. We can't keep doing this to children. Wow. Welcome to Stacy on the Right. If you're wondering what you just heard, you were just listening to Maxine Waters, who is uh, she's she's an elected official. She is one of the people who is tasked with uh, representing voters from her district in California. And she's tasked with upholding the rules of the United States House of Representatives, including decorum and et cetera, et cetera. Now, she has the right to free speech, obviously. But I have a few problems with what she said. Yeah, I have a few problems. So welcome to the show. Happy Monday to you. Can you believe it? Monday, we're back. And we have a great show planned for you today. We have a lot of discussion about whether or not people should be required or should feel compelled to serve people in restaurants and businesses if they don't want to. And um, there's a stark comparison that we need to make. And so we're going to dig into it a little bit. We have encouragement today, which is Ephesians 4. Um, a new friend shared Ephesians 4. Now, obviously, I've read Ephesians 4 before. But sometimes when a friend shares a scripture with you, it's that right time, that right moment. It's what God has for you. You wouldn't have discovered it on your own because you're too distracted, too busy to, you know, unplugged. And so a friend will come in and bring a scripture to you. So I want to share it with you guys because it blessed me so much over the weekend. And I also want to uh, tell you about our guest. Today we have Richard Lim, author and national security expert. He's going to join the show. Uh, we're, uh, he's of the This American President podcast, but he's actually going to come on today and talk to us about uh, The Great American Conqueror Part 2, James K. Polk. Now, if you've never heard him come on the program before, he's one of our favorite guests on the show. People always message in and say, you know, oh, my goodness, what a great guest. He's amazing. Wonderful, wonderful to listen to him and, and the historical perspective that he offers. It's really interesting how he's able to delve into the history of our country and bring certain stories and perspectives about previous presidents right to the front and plug them into what we're experiencing today. And so while we may feel that this is, you know, this is a unique time, it's unprecedented, it's the first of its time, not really. We've seen these things before, even in the short history that comprises the United States of America, and he's really wonderful at that. And then, of course, we are going to talk about um, the continuing debrading, if you will, of the case against Donald Trump and the collusion via the fruit of the poisonous tree kind of idea that was floated last week in an op-ed that has now taken hold. And I, I, we even discussed it here on the show. You know, n n of course, there's no uh, legal background for me to pull from, but I definitely have seen enough television and seen enough real life cases where if the prosecutor or certain members of his team are found to be biased against the defendant, it really prejudices the jury against listening to them and believing the facts that they bring forward to support their case. And so just that basic knowledge there points to a severe problem with the case against Donald Trump, whatever it might be, and also the case against Mike Flynn, General Flynn, um, and others in the Trump campaign who've been ensnared in the investigation. Now, a lot of the things that are going on with Manafort are, are part of an investigation that really commenced a, de a decade ago or more. And so, you know, the, that kind of stands alone on its own. And it's unfortunate. I, I sincerely hope for the best for uh, the Manafort family. 
But when it comes down to the president, where he was literally there now, there now even questions of perhaps he was being surveilled before the surveillance was authorized. And now they're looking into that. So we'll get into that a little bit later in this first hour. Um, And then, of course, I have some excellent topics for you. Rasmussen Reports did a a really quick survey of the American populace about whose fault it is that we have so many unaccompanied minors and accompanied minors on the border of our country. You'd be surprised to find out what Americans think about that. And then a Democratic congressman wants taxpayer-funded dorms. I want you to juxtapose that image. The taxpayers paying for dorms, like our congressmen, are college students. Juxtapose that up against Maxine Waters saying that if you're a member of the Trump administration, you should be run away from the gas station. You should be run out of the grocery store, et cetera, et cetera. So let's get back to that. Right now, I, okay. So first, let me just say to you, as a person who's, you know, I call myself a semi-public figure because I don't, I don't, I get recognized enough for it to kind of make me maybe like a bobblehead, you know, like for me to think I'm somebody, but not enough for me to really, you know, I'm not like some people that we uh, interview on this show or people who are, you know, national figures who are really recognized everywhere that they go. That's not the case for me. And I I came to realize on two separate occasions why that is such a huge benefit. And so I'll meet someone and they'll say, oh, I didn't recognize you. I'm so sorry. I know who you are. And I'm like, don't apologize for not recognizing me. It's to my benefit that people don't actually recognize me universally. And here's why. Because everyone who encounters a person who's a so-called public figure, it's almost as if when you assume a position on anything publicly, that people detach you from your family. And when they see you, you and your family do not have feelings. Not only do you not have feelings, you don't have any right to be at the Home Depot, you know, buying something or be at the grocery store, at the gas station. You don't have the right to be at the library. You don't have the right to be anywhere because you hold a position that they don't like and they don't care if your family's there or if your kids are there. They feel empowered to confront you. More than that, the problem that I have with this statement by Maxine Waters is that she's literally saying, for those of you who are too cowardly to confront someone individually on your own, you need to gather into a group. So basically the mob mentality. If you see someone from the Trump administration that you don't like, call them out and then gather a mob and then yell at them, scream at them. Never take it into consideration how many mentally ill people are running around this country and how likely it is that this perfect storm can exist. Just ask Steve Scalise what happened to him a year ago. He was minding his own business on a baseball mound in Alexandria, Virginia, and some Bernie bro who'd driven across the country to shoot him, to kill him, premeditated murder, showed up on the scene and had it not been for Capitol Police because Steve Scalise is the whip, the majority whip, they would all be dead. As it stands, because of incendiary comments made by Bernie Sanders, Steve Scalise had to go through dozens of surgery and had his entire abdomen, his entire digestive system and a lot of his internal organs reworked and put back together again Surgery after surgery after surgery. And we've never, we've, we've heard that he's better. We see him walking around. We've seen him back on the baseball mound again. But we've never heard from him directly if all of his bodily functions that are centered in that area are exactly as they were before. If he is not materially the same, put back together and made completely whole and right since he was shot. Bernie Sanders runs around this country with no remorse. But his language is what led to that attack. Now, Bernie Sanders is not responsible for it. Every person who pulls the trigger or does some act of violence is responsible for their own actions. But how do we hold people accountable for the kinds of things that they say that drive other people who are already on the brink of madness or are completely mad, completely and utterly mad, to do things that they wouldn't have done had those individuals not said the crazy things that they've said? Now, this is the kind of higher order conversation that's not fit for people who are driven by their emotions. So if you're one of those people, don't bother emailing me. I'm not going to email you back. If you care to listen, please calm yourself down, detach your emotional engine and absorb what is being said here. I'm talking about individuals in positions of power, such as Maxine Waters, 
sending out the clarion call for all of the crazies in America to begin to confront people that they disagree with ideologically. That is wrong. So, I mean, obviously, I feel like Kirsten Nielsen and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and all of these people have to be really, really wise and careful about where they go to eat and where, you know, where, where they go when they're alone, whether they're willing to go out publicly without security. These are things that they now have to consider due to Maxine Waters' comments. But did you hear what she said? The harassment of Trump officials is going to continue. The people will turn on you. The statement she made was so utterly reprehensible that the people on CNN felt the need to call it out. Now, y'all know how I feel about the majority of the commentary that goes on on CNN. It is really hard because they are so anti-Trump. It, it borders on derangement, and it makes it difficult to take them seriously because they can't just analyze a situation or talk about a story or report on anything. They have to put an anti-Trump slant on it. So this audio that you're about to hear has the anti-Trump slant, but they're all unanimous in their desire to distance themselves from Maxine Waters' comments and to make it clear that they don't support harassing public officials when they're out doing, you know, pumping gas, things like that. So I want to listen to number nine, uh, the CNN panel blasting Maxine Waters. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. There is a lot uh, in that moment, to say the very least. Uh, A.B., you start this one, uh, us off with this one. Um, That is... That is some loaded rhetoric from a public official. Maxine Waters is poised to take over one of the most important positions in the separate and co-equal branch of government Mm -hmm. as chairman of the Financial Services Committee in the House. She is doing everything she can to prevent her own promotion. (laughs) This is beyond overreach. It is so outrageous. Uh, that yeah. she is trying to motivate voters on her side to be as divisive as President Trump. It is, I just, I just find it really unbelievable that this is the kind of thing that they're trying to stoke this sort of mob mentality on the left. It's, it's just um, the exact thing Amen. that yeah. will drive turnout on the other side. So that's A.B. Stoddard. She's on CNN. And I didn't give you guys the little audio bite afterwards where the same gentleman who said, you have children, don't you, Sarah Huckabee Sanders? And he confronted Sarah Sanders in the briefing room and he was extraordinarily rude to her. Um, Really just the nastiest kind of invective directed at her in person. I didn't save that for you on the show today because in my opinion, he's now, he's dialing it back. He sees that, his example that he set, because he felt so proud and he'd you know, gotten extra hits on TV out of that. Now he sees that he's setting the wrong example and he's not so sure he wants this to be the rule of the day. Because I can tell you, it just as sure as I'm sitting here having been recognized someplace and most of the time it's really positive, but on two separate occasions, I was really kind of concerned. Like the person who said they recognized me, they weren't smiling. They were within like reaching distance of me. They made direct eye contact and they held it for a while. They like locked eyes with me, this guy did, and said, I know who you are. First he said, do do I know you? Then he said, I know who you are. You're Stacy on the right. And then he just held my gaze for a second. And in those moments, I thought to myself, you know, I'm in a public place, but being in a public place doesn't always mean everybody nearby will come to your aid. You have to be prepared to defend yourself. And I started, che- I started running my checklist in my head. I thought, I need to get away from this guy, but I can't turn my back on him. I need to get away from him. And so I did. I got away from him. I said, you know, nice to meet you and started getting away from him and put a lot of distance between us. But is that what we want in America? Crazies confronting people, gathering mobs against people at the gas station? You know, if it's good for the gander, It'll be good for the goose as well. If Democrats want Trump officials to be confronted, then I guess other people who are crazy will confront Obama officials. 
I guess people who appear on CNN and say these kinds of crazy things will get confronted as well. Is that the America we want? Everybody screaming and yelling at each other a hair's breadth away from blows? I don't think so. When we get back, we're going to talk about this some more. I have some more audio from you from The View of all places. So keep it here. My favorite things to do in Israel is take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. We'll be taking our annual tour of Israel in March of 2019, but it's time to sign up. We have a lot of folks sign up early, and last year, in fact, we filled up several months in advance. So for all the information on this trip to Israel, a bucket list trip for most people, Go to the website twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. Or for a free brochure, call us at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your phone number. We'll be flying direct from the States to Tel Aviv and then begin our tour in Jerusalem of Israel. We hope you can join us in 2019. Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. One of the signs in past seasons of revival has been in the great awakenings of the nation. Our spiritual history is punctuated by moments when people come to an awareness that their righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And in the early stages of most of the great awakenings and revivals of our generation has been a period of when people recognize their wretchedness without him. America, we got a long way to go because we do think we're all that. We have an entitlement spirit. I think as God is looking down at America, he sees that same kind of twistedness in the American church. What we need is a move of God that brings us back to the humble, humble place of saying, what I've got, I don't deserve, but I received it because of the kindness and the largesse of a loving God. Now see, I don't know about you, but I, I, I should be dead, not just of adult cancer. I should have been dead for foolishness in my teenage years. I, I don't know about you, but somehow God spared me. I, I'm somebody who owes God a debt of gratitude and service. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Amadale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. The people are yelling at other people now, and the discourse has really descended. I, I was in uh, Costco uh, last year, and somebody just yelled out Trump to me, like, you know, like some kind of weird, weird, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, like a blurt. Albert? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like a blurt to me, like I'm supposed to understand what that means, which I do. <laughs> Uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't want it coming at me, and I'm not doing it to them. Yeah. And a lot of these people, I don't know if you're going to get to talk about the others also. The um, uh, Pam Biondi from Florida mm-hmm. was going to a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ironically, to see Mr. Rogers, uh, You Can Be My Neighbor, and she was booed out of there also. Yeah. And um, Nielsen, the, the secretary, Homeland, um, Homeland Security, Secretary. Nielsen was in a Mexican restaurant, really brilliant, um, <laughs> and people booed her also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, I don't really appreciate it. I mean, save your rage for the voting booth, yeah. everybody. So, you know, it's a, it's a special day on the Stacey on the Right show where I play some audio from Joy Behar where she's actually making some sense. But she was here. And the other thing that was really fascinating about this interplay between them 
is that Whoopi Goldberg was so adamantly opposed to this kind of behavior because apparently, and I, I didn't know this, Whoopi Goldberg is regularly confronted in public, especially in major cities, by people who disagree with her views, who scream at her and yell at her. And she said it's never just one person. It's often cross attacks where one person screaming from one direction, another person screaming from another direction. And I have to say, you know, there are some people that I, I have a, a great deal of disdain for their views, not them as people, but their views. And I, I have never in my life felt it necessary to scream at a person in public because I disagree with their views. Because what good does that do? First of all, it makes you look like a raving lunatic. Second of all, you've now identified yourself as someone who disagrees with them. And if they have any security nearby, now you're a target. But worse than that, what kind of message does that send when your comportment is that about your Christianity? Now, many of these people who are doing this kind of stuff, they're not Christians. They don't claim to be. They're not even concerned with that. But as Christians, we have that extra layer of concern that we're supposed to have. It's supposed to permeate our entire being. We're supposed to recognize that as abhorrent as we may find the views, that person walking has every right to be walking and maybe, you know, headed into a store or at the Walgreens or whatever they might be doing. And you have every right to go do what you're going to do. And you don't have the right to try to get their attention and let them know you don't approve. And so, you know, as someone who's had that happen to me in public, it doesn't change my mind. And so I know I'm not going to change any official's mind, any public figure, any Hollywood star. I'd rather tweet them so at least I have a record that I'm on the record as disagreeing with the gun control of Captain America. A guy who has an amazing career in Hollywood who spends his off hours talking about gun control, damaging his brand. I think that's absolutely, well, first of all, it's silly on his part. And second of all, it's, that's the place for me to send him a tweet and say, what are you doing? Like, I do not appreciate your gun control stance. I'd rather watch you put on a suit and pretend to be a superhero. You know, you're an actor. Like, stop. He has every right to say whatever he wants. I have every right to send him a tweet or two. But if I were to see him in public, if I wanted to say anything to him, it should be, wow, I really enjoyed you in Captain America. Great job on that movie. That's it. This has become the place where we see this kind of thing come to a head and become, it's dangerous. It's not just Stephen Scalise. Remember the five officers who were shot dead in Dallas, Texas? It took them being taken out by sniper rifle fire before the Black Lives Matter movement would agree to stop saying pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them now? All of a sudden, Black Lives Matter was full of church-going folks. Do you remember? I, I remember it just like it was yesterday. The day before, they were radical activists with black uh, bandanas over their faces and fists raised high. The day after the shooting, it was a bunch of people that looked like they literally could be at my church on Sunday. Every, I mean, like moms. We're a part of Black Lives Matter, and we've never called for violence against police. Okay. Five dead police officers says different. So this is where it goes. Who else has to get shot? Who else has to get physically accosted? You know, there was a staffer, an elderly staffer at that, who was knocked unconscious by someone who was trying to gather a little mob together to show a congressman a little something. There's a running tab of people who've been injured because they happened to be in the way or they happened to be someone who someone else disagreed with and it went too far. So first off, I'm on the record, Maxine Waters should be censured by the House of Representatives for her comments. Not because she doesn't have the right to say them, but because she's an elected official and the standard is different for her. Second of all, there has to be an overall wide-scale pushback from Democrats across this country. You have to feel responsibility if you claim the the mantle of, of being a Democrat, someone who looks out for the little people, someone who is concerned with everybody having a piece of the American dream. The American dream also consists of people moving about the country freely and unimpeded, regardless of their political beliefs, and going about their business, buying gas, shopping for food, and eating out. Now, restaurants have the right to refuse service. They can't do so based on your innate characteristics that are protected by the federal government, protected by discrimination laws. So they can't say, I won't serve you because you're black. 
They can say, I won't serve you because I saw you had a Trump hat on your Instagram account. They can say that. Now, it's not smart. It's not good business. And all it does is further drive us away from each other. But it is lawful. And that is why Sarah Huckabee Sanders stood up and left when the lady said, I'd like you to leave. It is a lie. Sonny Hostin was on uh, The View in the same segment that you just heard the, the clip from. And she said that since it's not discrimination, it, there was nothing wrong with it. And she's fine with it. But what Sonny Hostin doesn't understand is she could be it, it could be Sonny next. The next time Sonny Hostin is out with her children, whatever her family is comprised of, child, children, spouse, whatever. And someone says to her, you're Sonny Hostin from The View. I'd like you to leave. She'll say it's because she's black. I'd like you to leave because you oppose President Donald Trump. She'll probably say it's because she's black. But the reality is when it starts to happen to her, she actually made the delineation that she wouldn't want to eat with. She was asked by one of the other panelists on The View is um, John McCain's daughter. And uh, Meghan McCain said, well, I have I have friends and family who work in the Trump administration. Are you saying that you wouldn't sit down to a meal with us just because of where they work? And she said, I, I'm saying there's certain people I don't want to eat with. Well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It, it is absolutely lawful to tell someone, you know, you don't look like you have good hygiene. You can't sit down at my restaurant and eat because you're offending the other customers. I don't want to serve you for almost any reason other than you're black, your country of national origin, or whether or not you're in the country legally. Uh, at, beyond that, it's lawful. No shoot, no, no sh- shirt, no shoes, no service. That's a real thing. The question is, is this the America we want to live in? I don't think it is. Um, I, I, I don't think it is. And here's the other thing I want to point out that connects to this story, because the reason why everybody's so up in arms is because they're so upset about what the Obama administration did that they didn't care about, that the Trump administration is doing, that they suddenly care because it's Trump. You see that? That's not even, I mean, come on. That is not even adult behavior. Adults can differentiate between the same activities happening under different leadership and acknowledge that it was either wrong all the way through or they really didn't care all the way through. But don't expect the rest of us to observe you doing that and buy it. It stinks. We're not going to buy it. So you've got Jay Johnson. Does that name sound familiar to you? He was uh, in the Trump or he was in the Obama administration for three years. And he admits in this audio clip that they had to detain illegal alien children. They had to. And they did so. And it was ugly then. And it's ugly now. It's number four. Let's look, because you mentioned it, at how the Obama administration and you as Secretary of Homeland Security handled this back in 2014 when there was also a spike in children, most of them unaccompanied, coming across the border. Uh, You started jailing entire families. In some cases, not a lot, but in some, you separated children from their parents. And these pictures that we're putting up from 2014 show pictures of unaccompanied minors in in effect, jail situations. Uh, As you look back on that, did you handle it so well? Well, Chris, without a doubt, the images and the reality from 2014, just like 2018, are not pretty. And so we expanded family detention. We had then 34,000 beds for family detention, only 95 of 34,000 equipped to deal with families. So we expanded it, I freely admit, it was controversial. We believed it was necessary at the time. I still believe it was necessary to maintain a certain capability for families. We can't have catch and release. And in my three years, we deported or repatriated or returned over a million people. But again, you can deal with this on the border. You can try different things. We did not want to go so far as separate families. But unless we deal with the underlying causes that are motivating people to come here in the first place. We're going to continue to bang our heads against the wall on this issue. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is not audio from him from 10 years ago. He's on with Chris Wallace over the weekend and he's a Democrat and he's telling the truth about immigration. And so while we're busy arguing about whether or not Sarah Huckabee Sanders has the right to order some farm to table chicken with her family you know, almost two hours outside of Washington, D.C. in her off time, 
What's not happening is the very real conversation surrounding what we should do with illegal immigration. There is a solution. There is a solution for every problem. Now, it's not always the solution you like. It's not always the one you love, but there is a solution. We need to stand up asylum centers in Guatemala, El Salvador, and all of these other countries. We need to build actual judicial centers to adjudicate these cases. I'm talking instant deportation. You literally, you show up, you get your number, like the DMV. You might wait a couple of days, but at max, you're getting turned around if your asylum claim is not approved. The judge does it right then and there, just like 24-hour night court. That's what we need to do. But we can't get there because Democrats don't want night court. They don't want these people's cases adjudicated. They don't want their due process rights adhered to as we have to under the Constitution. They don't want that because that stops the flow of illegal aliens coming into the country, which is a source of votes for the Democrats. And that's why we don't have unity on this. So I I have more suggestions on what we can do. um, And we're going to continue the conversation right now. I want to pivot over to, and this really dovetails in nicely, which is why I feel like this is just, it's, Right here, right now, it's what we're supposed to be talking about. And that is the encouragement for today. And I'm reading out of the Message Bible, which I don't normally do, but it was shared with me in the Message Bible. And I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be giving you right now in this moment because we need this. This is what we need to be marinating in in order to navigate our way forward. I just want to, before I get into this, I'll just say this. What happens when this goes wrong and someone decides to take a protest too far and the person that they attack is defending themselves using the Second Amendment. What happens then? We're not thinking this thing through. So here's what the Bible says about being mature. This is Ephesians 4. First, we'll do one through three. In light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to go out there and walk, better yet run, on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. That's what God tells us to do. He doesn't say get out in the street and confront people that you disagree with. He says, pour yourself out for each other. Notice the differences, mend the fences. You are all called to travel on the same road in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, father of all, who rules over all, works through all, is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with this oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain, he captured the enemy, seized the reward, handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one, and they're referring to Christ, who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heaven? He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. We are not called to confront people that we disagree with and gather mobs together. We are called to maturely notice our differences and pour ourselves out for one another and to be permeated with oneness. Now, this is within the body of Christ. It's hard to achieve oneness with someone who's not a Christian and is not operating with this knowledge. But it is still our duty to spread a message of peace and unity and to be one with one another. The opposite of that is tossing people with their kids and their husbands out of restaurants because they work for someone you don't like. The opposite of that is buying into the media narrative about what's going on at the border. You're being lied to. 
don't allow that. God calls us to be wise and to seek wise counsel and to be full of the knowledge of Christ, which also means we have to be informed with the truth about what goes on here or where we are, where we currently dwell. So we're going to talk more when we get back. We're going to have some audio from Representative John Ratcliffe about the poisonous tree and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Miller and so much more. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037. Be right back. conversation with my daughter about making mistakes and not getting this Christian walk right. I had to explain to her that none of us are perfect, but we are all striving for perfection. Then I was listening to a song by 10th Avenue North called You Are More. The song really explained what I shared with her and reminded me that the enemy would like nothing more than to use the mistakes and things you've gotten wrong against you. But because of Christ, you are more than your mistakes. You are more and bigger than your fears. You are so much more than the choices you've made. And God's love for you never wanes. It never decreases. It never ceases to exist. Today, no matter what you've done or how bad you think it is, repent and rest in the forgiveness and love of the Father. Extend to yourself the same passion and grace that the Father extends. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, whatever happened to Halley's Comet? Chris, Halley's Comet is what astronomers refer to as a short-term comet. It makes an orbit around the sun every 76 years. People saw it in the early 1900s and then again in the 80s. Astronomers can keep track of it through telescopes, and they've noticed it has decreased in size. Every trip around the sun causes the comet to disintegrate, with the tail of the comet being stripped away. Halley's Comet can't make very many trips around the sun without being totally destroyed. Thus, it couldn't be millions and millions of years old. It's a short-period comet. But there are a lot of short-period comets in the solar system. The solar system can't be billions of years old with all these youthful features in it. Chris, everything fits the recent creation idea that we're taught when we go back to Genesis. For more information, you can find us on the web at www.icr.org. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. What's remarkable about the testimony that we heard from the Inspector General is it wasn't uh, some partisan Republican. This is the FBI's own uh, independent referee who's saying that he's deeply troubled and concerned um, that it is uh, Peter Strzok and other Trump-hating uh, agents and lawyers collecting evidence and making every decision uh, for the first nine months of that investigation, that that is, by definition, uh, uh, prejudicial to the fair and impartial administration of justice. And as the, that Wall Street Journal article talks about, it raises the legitimate legal question of fruit of the poisonous tree, that if your foundational evidence is so corrupted and tainted by how it's been collected, if it violates due process through, through bias and prejudice, then everything that comes after that, every search warrant that's obtained, every confession that's obtained, even every plea agreement that's entered into is likewise tainted or poisoned. And the Supreme Court has weighed in on that and had said specifically in cases like U.S. v. Russell and Blackledge v. Perry 
that the vindictiveness of prosecutors can be that poison fruit for which you throw out uh, the entire case. So if this were in a court of law, that's the case that uh, Donald Trump's lawyers would be making right now. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Great to be with you. Um, we have just so much to cover. And I'm so I guess we I'll just put a pin in it. I don't really feel like we're done discussing everything that's going on with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Kirsten Nielsen and uh, Pam Biondi, um, AG for I think the state of Florida. She was out seeing a uh, uh, you know, pre-screening of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood autobiographical type uh, piece and was booed out of the theater. And I, I think what, what's happening here is, and this is, this is normal. Uh, in fact, it's so interesting because over the weekend, I was out with our oldest uh, daughter, the first, as I sometimes call her. And she and I were out, you know, we were going looking for stuff for her dorm room. And she said, Mom, I've heard about some of these things that are going on. Is it true that Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, was, was denied service at a restaurant? I said, yeah, it was. And um, we were talking just, you know, she's aware of the news. She's seen the stories. And she said to me, she was like, Mom, um, it's interesting because, you know, I don't think that it would be the same kind of news reports. Like people wouldn't be supporting this if it was a Democrat who was a woman who was booed out of a restaurant or booed out of this place or that. and. I said, yeah, but they're not thinking they're, they're in their emotions. And she turned to me, just, you know, just glanced over and then looked back out of the front seat and said, well, you know, when our emotions are engaged, our brains are not able to fully access our logical center. (laughs) So you can't be logical when your emotions are engaged. And I don't mean, you know, you feel positively towards the person who's talking or you feel negatively towards them. And so you cannot think logically. I mean, if you're completely overcome by your emotions, the outrage of children being separated from their parents, you don't care anything about Americans whose kids have been killed by illegal immigrants and they are permanently separated from their kids. At least with these people who are here in the country illegally applying for asylum, they're going to get their kids back. What do you do if you're an angel mom and your kid's been killed by an illegal immigrant? You're not getting your kid back. There's no government agency that can be petitioned or bullied into bringing your child back to life. But again, like she said so eloquently, once you engage those emotions and you get in your feelings, you cannot think logically. And that is why we, the the double standard exists. And, And there's something else that we have to go ahead and lay out there, which I'm kind of, I'm like 50, 50 on whether or not I should say it, but here goes. Every time a Trump official, especially the women, gets booed out of a restaurant or kicked out of a restaurant or surrounded by a mob of people, you know, it's one thing for you to say, I have something I want to tell you. You're an elected official. You work in the Trump administration. My taxes pay your your salary. I don't agree with what you're doing at the border, one-on-one. And then Secretary Nielsen says, thank you for your comment. I appreciate your feelings on this issue, uh, and, and, and I will take what you've said to heart. It's another thing for you to say, I'm going to bring 15 to 20 of my rowdiest, stinkiest friends, and I'm going to surround her house and blare a whole lot of loud sounds of children crying, and I'm going to get on a bullhorn and say horrible things about her, and I'm just going to stay out there and protest her outside her house because a group, me, me and a group, I'm much more powerful than just me one-on-one with her. It's a totally different thing. Do you, do you see the difference there? In one situation, you are choosing to tell her what you think to unburden yourself one-on-one in the other situation you've got a literal uh it's a it's a mob it's a gang of people bullying one person and the one person just happens to be a woman war on women whatever happened to that do you guys remember when the when the um sarah palin had the crosshairs it was on her website she had crosshairs over the districts that were Basically, her super PAC was working to influence those districts. She wanted to win those House or Senate seats. And so that there was a cross, a little, basically a little bullseye crosshair type thing. And the graphic was over the different state or district or what have you. And it was a little map on her website. And some liberal found it and said that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was putting a bullseye for people to shoot at these individual um, uh, candidates and that she wanted them to die. Do you remember when Mitt Romney said, not only did they have a lot of women in his uh, in his administration when he was the governor, 
they had binders full of candidates and they were divided by sex so that if they were looking to fill a position, instead of just going and looking at all of the people who'd sent resumes, they would go to their binder that was strictly women in the binder and they would flip through the resumes and say, oh, this looks like a good candidate. And so does she. Let's bring them to these two women in and, and take a look at them. They were so focused on making sure that their cabinet reflected the electorate, that they had binders with only female candidates in it. The left took that, turned it into binders for women. It was a hashtag on Twitter. And it was a, used to create a narrative that Mitt Romney, who y'all know he's not my favorite political candidate, but as the human being scale, you know, the scale of he, here's a decent person, here's an excellent person. And yes, that's true. There are even hierarchies of, do you think that David was God's favorite because he was a horrible person? No. God recognizes excellence and goodness and mediocrity and evil. He recognizes all those different variances, and so should we. And so on the scale of what kind of human being you want to be, Mitt Romney's pretty, he's, he's pretty high up on the scale. Philanthropically, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, the guy is a very decent, upstanding individual. They took him through the mud. They made him seem like he was like three shakes away from Hitler. And he wasn't. He was just describing to them and providing documentation that he's not a sexist, which was an unfounded attack to be leveled at him anyway. Now, the show is only two hours and we're almost done with the first hour. I could regale you with tales of the double standard of the left for the next hour, I could keep going past my actual broadcast time on the network and just keep on live streaming and do hours and hours and hours on the double standard of the left and provide you with documentation of it. But we don't need to do that, do we? What we need to do is acknowledge that this isn't about the illegal immigrant kids, just like it wasn't about hiring women back when it was Mitt Romney, just like it's not about Sarah Huckabee Sanders eating at a restaurant or her being a repugnant person or a liar, as Sonny Hostin has said on The View. It's not about any of that stuff. All of these things have to do with what, what we're not discussing. Let's, let's do a quick rundown. Rasmussen Reports did a, the survey. I mentioned this. I, I, I led up to this. This Rasmussen poll shows that Americans don't blame the Trump administration for the approximately 2,000 out of 12,000 who have been separated from their parents. 54, 54% of likely voters polled by Rasmussen said they think the parents are more to blame for breaking the law than the government is for detaining or separating anyone. Further, well, wait, 35% said the government is more to blame. That's your hardcore leftist activists and people who are so in their feelings. They couldn't tell you if today is Monday or Tuesday. They have no logical an analytical capabilities right now because they're so in their feelings. 54% of voting Americans agree with President Trump's assertion that the United States will not be a migrant camp and it will not be a refugee holding facility. The survey was of 1,000 1, likely voters. It was conducted June 19th through 20th. So it's fresh. That's fresh data for you. So you've got that. Other stories that are really important, and we're going to listen to some audio of Mick Mulvaney in the next hour. President Trump is proposing and has created a plan using his cabinet heads and department heads to reorganize the government for efficiency. Now, this is in his wheelhouse because he's a business person and he has run many, many companies. And he now has Trump International, which is a bunch of companies up underneath the Trump umbrella. They do all kinds of different things. And the reason that he's doing this is because we're using a government that was built back in the early 1900s. And we're almost a fifth of the way through this century. So we are not just using an obsolete government. It's beyond obsolete. And the bureaucracy is destroying people's lives. But if we talk about that, here's, here's what happens if the media were to talk about that, just that one story, just that one. That people in, in between, you got the 50, what did I say it was? 55%, 54%. You got those people. They already feel like, you know, the president isn't, is going in the right direction. You have 35% who they blame the government for the fact that, People south of the border don't care about their kids more than they care about getting into America. But you have a little gap there. There's some people left there who could still be swayed into thinking that things aren't really so bad. Not only are they experiencing the tax reform, not only are they experiencing less regulation if they're in business or if they deal with the government for any reason whatsoever, but they're also noticing that the economy is booming. 
and that there are no more missile tests going on. And they've lowered the level of propaganda significantly that is produced in North Korea that says bad things about the West. So if you take a few things and you're you're just looking at, hey, the lay of the land is not so bad under Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, or just a, an honest assessment says he's not doing so bad of a job. Now, does that bode well? If, if Americans are sitting around talking about how Donald Trump's doing a, a decent job, does that bode well for the Democrats at the midterms? No. If Americans are sitting around actually thinking about, wow, you know what? That's an interesting point. And I, I know this is how it, it happens because. When I consume the news, I don't sit there and say, okay, as a radio host, what does this mean? I just consume the news and I formulate my opinions on it. And I do a little bit of research to see, am I, am I even close on this? And then there it is. And so the first thing I thought when I heard that the president had put out, I got the embargoed version of the plan uh, in my email box from the White House. I, I skimmed through it and I was like, wow, I didn't realize a lot of these agencies have not been updated or revamped at all since they were stood up. It's like, Really interesting that they haven't had process improvement. They haven't had any, you know, think about all the different things. If you've worked anywhere, at some point you had a reorganization or you had someone new come in who was in charge who said, I've noticed some inefficiencies and so we're no longer going to do this, this or that, or you will no longer travel at this frequency or you will no longer be able to use that credit card. We are going to institute a new credit card. Just think about how many times some kind of change has been made at your work. And for the government, there's really been none of that. Just people coming in and going out, people working for their entire life, 40, 50, 60 years, retiring, bringing down big bank on their retirement accounts and not really changing much in the way that the government operates. Yet we have now the ability to have all of the information a person would consume in their entire life. We now have on a phone that we can touch and see and feel and use 24 hours a day. And we consume more information in one day than a person in the 1800s would consume in their entire life. That is the difference between our old government, which you're currently operating under, and the government that Donald Trump is looking to streamline and make more efficient. So it just in that, what, three, four minutes that I've been discussing that, think about the kind of conversations that could be had around the dinner tables of America, the, uh, you know, the, the boardrooms of America, the kinds of discussions that people would be having. Yeah, you know, whenever I deal with this agency for the government, it's kind of crazy. I just, it never really works out. And so that's why we don't do X with our business. That's why we haven't taken that next step with this product, because it means we have to deal with six more government agencies than the one we have now. And in order to do that, we need to be much more profitable because I need to be able to hire on two people to do, to deal with the agencies, the regulations that have to do with just launching this new advancement on this product. That's the kind of stuff that gets people thinking about what they want to see from their government. It might get them engaged. It might get them communicating with their government. It might get people thinking about something else besides immigration. It might get people thinking about something else besides they hate Donald Trump or they hate Melania Trump or they want Barron Trump kidnapped and put into a cage with a pedophile. But people who think like that are never going to be the ones sitting around, uh, you know, a boardroom table making those kinds of really, you know, kind of higher order decision making analysis functions, you know, comparisons, seeking out opinions. Or maybe they do because you guys remember the story from um, like a year ago where I, this attorney sent me this threatening email and he sent it from his work account. And I called over there and asked for comment, official comment from their organization. And he got in a room with a bunch of HR people and sent me an apology. Not because he was sorry, but because he was about to lose his job because he sent the email from his work account instead of his private account. It was an accident. So, yeah, I guess those kind of people do work in really high places. But so what? They've got to have us talking immigration and the devil, you know, everybody in the Trump administration is the devil, because if we're talking about that, we're not talking about the good news and the good things that the Trump administration is doing. We'll be back with hour two after this. Keep it here.